0: So Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Now to be certain, right, and just for clarification, like who God is has already been established, right? The answer that the disciples gave at the time that question was asked or your answer or my answer doesn't change who he is. Our answer only determines the role that we allow him to play in our lives to some extent, right? And the benefit that we experience from fully embracing who he is or uh, what, what we miss out on in life. because we don't embrace them. So I think a better way to ask that question might be, like, who do you say that I am? Different emphasis. And that's really... um, That is the question that I have contemplated every day for the last 31 days. You know that 31 days ago uh, my son, Christopher, was fatally injured in a tree-cutting accident. I mean, so ironic. Like, he's the one who would always school me on safety issues. All right. Just a freak accident. Uh, a rope snap. Bringing in the huge part of the tree. Just down on him. So in that ER at Upper Valley, and in that ICU for four days in Miami Valley, And then every moment I think it feels like since my thoughts, right, my actions have played out the answer to the question. Who do you, Chris Heiss, say that he is? And I know for many people, and perhaps many of you, you've had to you wrestle with the question of. Is there a God? Or why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Or how could God take Christopher at a young age with such a young family, with a baby on the way? Or any number of questions. Like, that is honestly not my question. I still wrestle with those things and those questions, but I have had to um, long since have to wrestle those questions to the ground in my life. Having experienced personally and walked even with many of you through so many dark situations in this life over so many years, I accept that life is not fair. I accept that there are answers that I don't have and that life will not provide. I know this is a fallen world and that the results of sin create um, a lot of devastation. And many unfair situations that crush our hearts. And I don't believe that God takes people away from their families. And I don't believe that he needs anyone in heaven at any given time. Or that a tragedy such as this is somehow a result of God's judgment or God's wrath or some kind of a heavenly temper tantrum. I know people have to wrestle with these questions and I have had to wrestle with these questions before this event. Yet I believe that there is a God and that the Bible is his word that gives us a complete and yet at the same time a completely inadequate description of him and his work that I don't know how to capture in words. So instead, I find myself wrestling with a powerful God who could have intervened. chose not to do it how I wanted him to. With a God who could have healed his body and restored his life. But didn't on this earth. with a God who created Christopher and loved him even before I knew him and knew of him and has loved him I believe through every moment of this tragedy and is still loving him today and I trust his grace And his power, and his wisdom, and his sovereignty, even when I don't understand it completely. And even though, when I, in my limited knowledge, would have chosen to respond differently. That's why worship is so good for me now, but it just also crushes me. The truths of who God is meet the reality of my broken world. Right now, often through tears. Christopher was strong. He was smart. And he was capable in so many ways, and though he certainly didn't have all of life figured out at 29, (laughs) he made me proud as a dad, and us proud as a family. And when I can focus my thoughts on how he lived his life and the hopes that he had, I can't escape the thoughts of the life he might have had to live. I'm so saddened by his death. But I know he would not have wanted to live in any number of ways that could have become become the result of his actually surviving this tragedy. He would have struggled even more with the physical and the mental and the psychological limitations that could very well have accompanied any kind of survival. And while I feel sad and I feel lonely and incomplete in life without Him, I trust a good and a powerful and a gracious God who was and continues to be capable of loving Chris in the best way. And my God, and his God, was his best loving father. That's who I say he is. And Jesus is God's son and our sacrifice is the one who has made not only life, but eternal life possible for not only Christopher, but every one of us who choose to embrace him as Lord and as Savior, like Sean. Uh, and now what, what do I say about all of you, right? God's people, our extended family, your words, your gifts, your prayers, your food, your luminaries, and the display of God's love to us has literally given us strength for this journey. Our staff who's picked up all the pieces around here so I could just be a dad in grief. That was a true gift. The people who've been a part of all of our journeys in the past, and all who are connected to them, the people that Chris and his wife Megan have touched and all that are connected to them, all of you are amazing. We have literally known that at any given moment there were people that were praying for us and loving us. It's just a humbling and a great reminder that in life, as Jesus says, we reap, what we sow, we we have loved people for many years, and yet we have found that during these moments, during this season, uh, we've received so much more than we've ever given. So we have given God thanks many times for each of you and your prayers and your love and your support over these past few weeks. So to you that are here, certainly to to the many many who might be watching. We just want to say again, thank you. Now, for my sake, <laughs> and for yours, too, I'm going to ask you to make a hard shift with me this morning. All right? Open up your Bibles. Open up your Bible apps. Grab your Bible in front of you in that chair. And I want you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 2, with me. In our Mark study like we have learned so far, that Mark is focused on action, right on the works, on the miracles, on the movements of Jesus. We have seen that Jesus is God's beloved son, that he is pleasing to his Father. Now, Jesus, at this point in his life when he began his ministry, is approximately age thirty. And realize when God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, he hadn't done any miracles yet, okay? no incredible actions. That's not why God loved him. We saw that Jesus has authority, both in his words that were original. He didn't have to quote someone else. He was, he was the word. He was the originator of these words of God because he was God. And he had great authority in his actions. It was demonstrated by his power over the evil spirits and certainly by his power over the physical realm. And we're going to continue to see that through the book of Mark because that was one of his focuses as he wrote. And last week, we saw that Jesus was incredibly focused on why he came. Remember, he said that he came to preach the good news. We saw how he was empowered by the time that he spent with his father in prayer. And we would do well to remember that as we need the power to live the life he's called us to live. And what I hope you've seen is that everything in the life, in the ministry of Jesus, that every word, every interaction and every action flowed directly from his connection to his Father. It's a beautiful picture. I'm sure it had to be a source of confidence for Jesus. And it's a goal for us, isn't it? <laughs> that our lives would simply reflect the heart of God in everything we do. And this, have we've seen, and we're going to continue to see, that in contrast to these various groups of religious leaders that Jesus encountered in his day were Jesus' actions. They didn't reflect these things at all. Drew mentioned to us last week that, that the leaders were suspicious of Jesus, that they were antagonistic toward him. They were threatened by him. And they were always looking to try to diminish his influence and discredit his words and his actions. And today's texts are going to be no different. In fact, it's kind of the focus of what we're going to look at today as we're going to realize that that Jesus challenges the heart of their perceived authority, the law of God. They were Old Testament scholars They were the religious elite. They were the ones who represented God on earth, the people. And Jesus is going to remind us that just because that's what we're called to do, it doesn't mean that we do it very well if we have our hearts out of sync with God. So pick up with me in chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. We read, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A huge crowd came to him. And he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now listen, tax collectors, as we've probably talked before, it's not a hard discovery to realize that that they were considered traitors and thieves, not only because they collected taxes for the Romans, but because they added on to it money that they got for themselves. And they were considered unclean minimally because they mingled with Gentiles and other low-life sinners, if you would, who were not fit for association with God's people according to the religious elite. In verse 16 it says when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors they asked his disciples why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Let's be honest, I mean some of these people lived immoral lives, right? But others well, others, were, they were just considered less than to the Pharisees simply because they didn't follow the strict laws of the Pharisees. Not the laws of God, but the additional laws of the Pharisees. And we're going to see throughout our text today that one problem was that to the Pharisees, they were the standard, not God. And that's where they messed so many different things up. How we need to be careful in our lives and how we live and how we represent God to the world he has called us to that we do not assume the role of God in this life. verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, But the sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And here we find an often unembraced reality inside the church and outside the church. Listen, we are all sick. We are all sinners. Paul says we've all sinned and and come short of the glory of God. So we're all in need of His grace. The Pharisees thought the disconnect with God was in the sin of the, quote, sinners, the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus pointed out that the disconnected, disconnect with God was in the reality that the Pharisees refused to embrace the reality of their own sin. Jesus would say, make sure you take a look at your own heart before you judge so harshly someone else's. Back in verse 18, a new dialogue. It says John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And so some some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered in verse 19, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot as long as they have him with them. Can you imagine going to a wedding, or in this day, skipping the wedding and going to the reception, which is the habit of many, (laughs) and it's all decked out, and there's food and nice spread, and there's drinks and there's celebration all in the air, and someone gets up, and says to the crowd or to the group, now don't anybody celebrate. <laughs> this isn't a, a time to rejoice. I mean, they just got married after all. Jesus said it'd be ludicrous. But the time will come, Jesus says in verse 20, when the bridegroom will be taken from them and on that day, they will fast. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth in an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine, he says, into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins. and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Listen, like you can't simply add Jesus to your old life. Or even your old religion. Jesus brings new life. Not a better looking version of your old life. I don't want just enough grace to get by. Because guess what? When life comes down hard, just enough grace doesn't get you there. Just enough Jesus won't help you through those dark valleys. Just enough to make you feel good and feel like that when it's all over, you're going to heaven, won't give you the ability to answer the hard questions of life. Don't miss this theme throughout all of these passages today, how much we need a new life with Jesus. Verse 23. Different scenario. Mark's just like just shotgun firing all of these, right? Verse 23, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Just step back for just a minute with me, right? Can you imagine? Like the Pharisees have nothing better to do than to watch Jesus and disciples as they walk across a field, (laughs) right? I mean, just catch their hearts, catch the intent of it. and It's going to come out in their words, but it's just mind-boggling to believe that that. That is the the goal of their life at this moment is to catch them doing something we don't think they should be doing. So in verse 24, the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now when you read the story that Jesus mentions in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we usually just kind of excuse David's actions thinking that that there was a great need there. They weren't just hungry, like they were starving. But Jesus points out the Bible doesn't condemn David for this action. Even though he broke the letter of the law, that was set aside bread only for the priests to eat. But in this passage, the disciples didn't break a biblical law. They broke a tradition of the Pharisees. And unfortunately, in the minds of the religious leaders, that violation was even worse. So Jesus takes them instead to thoughts about the Spirit of the law, when he says in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now listen, herein lies the difference between Scripture and man-made rules. Don't miss this, right? God's principles are for the good of man. While man-made rules become a burden to people. Jesus isn't rationalizing behavior. He's putting it in context and noting that there's a difference between the authority of Scripture and that of our traditions, whatever they might be. Now listen, churches have gotten that wrong many times in history. Let's make sure that we are following and giving priority to God's word in our lives, not just how we think a person ought to live, based on our thoughts or our judgments, and it only gets illustrated further in this one last passage as you turn to chapter three and pick up in verse one. It's such a telltale section. It says another time Jesus went into the synagogue, <laughs> or we could read it that way. Either way, it's good. <laughs> Gotta love the technology. (laughs) There's just a hundred people saying, man, I'm glad that's not me right now. (laughs) So another time Jesus went into a synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there, it says. And some of them think Pharisees again, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. That's why they watched him walk through a field. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now come back with me here. All right, all is well. (laughs) Think about this. You have the Son of God in your presence, the creator of all things in your midst, the waymaker, the miracle worker, the one who has authority right before your eyes, and all your heart wants to do is find fault. What a terrible way to live. Jesus said to the man in verse 3 with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, the Pharisees, the critics, the ones with the hard hearts and the dirty hearts and the messed up ways of thinking. He asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts Jesus was angry and he was sad at the same time like these were the people on earth who were supposed to be representing God to people They were supposed to be showing the world his father, which, by the way, is exactly who we are today, right? His representatives to a lost world. Their ears refused to listen, and their eyes refused to see the heart of God and the work of God unfolding right before them. Their need, make no mistake, their need was great, but their pride was even greater. So Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Time after time, we're going to read through the book of Mark that Jesus is doing good, and time after time, these religious elite continue to find fault. May God give us eyes to see where he is at work and ears to hear His truth, when it is spoken. And grace to put the death, the things in our lives, which put us in opposition to him and his kingdom and his work. Now, I'm going to suggest a couple of life lessons we learned from these passages today. And there are many in these passages, and we're moving a bit quick through them. But I think uh, these two just help us put in context, how do you deal as a person who loves God with someone who has a hard heart? How do you deal with someone who refuses to see the love of God and the work of God going on right before their eyes? How how do you deal with someone where it breaks your heart so much to see that they just refuse to embrace the God that you love? Let me suggest to you, the first one is this. There's no winning the person with a hard heart. Okay, hear me out on this. God is going to have to soften that heart or life is going to have to break it. But both require the cooperation of the person who's done the hardening. You and I understand. Like, life is hard. Things don't always go the way we think they should. I understand that there have likely been people, maybe in your life, like the Pharisees, or maybe churches, who've been guilty of using the Word of God, and maybe even God Himself, to manipulate and to control. But understand with me, God is not the perpetrator, just because His people do that. That's why we need each need to meet God personally and not just through a relationship with someone who either is or, or claims to be a follower of Jesus. To know God and to see the heart of God leads to a softening of one's heart in response to his love not a hardening of a heart in response to um, a false sense of his harshness. Now, we still love people who have hard hearts and still position ourselves and engage them in relationship, difficult as that may be. But we do so in hopes of being available to introduce them to God if and when their hardened hearts soften. This is part of earning the right to speak into people's lives. And it's hard work. But it puts us in position to be not just the hands and feet, but the mouth and the heart of God to people when their hearts open up to him. The second thing I want to remind us is this. People, this would be you and I and everyone else, people find what they're looking for, whether it's a correct assessment or not. Okay? Haven't you like, painfully watched as a parent nitpicks a child, as a teacher nitpicks a student, as a coach comes down hard on a player, Or even when a church leader maybe makes it seem impossible for a member of the church to do something right. And before we get too righteous, right, haven't we also seen it happen in reverse? Where the child, or the student, or the player, or the church member becomes the one with the critical spirit who's bent on criticizing and destroying. The Pharisees show us this in these passages. We see how they look for faults, how they try to set Jesus up for accusation. Mark chapter 2, verse 16 said, When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, their eyes were looking for it. See their hearts unveiled in their actions. Mark chapter 3, verse 2, where we read, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely. Verse 4, another refusal to even answer a basic question, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent, it says. They wouldn't see Jesus for who he was, the Son of God, because they refused to see it. And they remind us listen, you can look right, you can act right, you can present a right image, you can even do the right things, but still not be right with God. Now, you want to read more on this, another good passage, Mark chapter 7. The first 23 verses breaks this out even further and Jesus talks about how good they look out on the inside, on the outside, but how dirty they really are on the inside. Listen, my friends. Life will bring you to your knees. Life's challenges will reveal to you if changes or need to be made, it's going to reveal to you and I the futility of our attempts to control it. Sometimes the emptiness of our hearts, the depth of your faith, whatever that is, the level of your doubt, the weight of your resistance to God's authority. And the result of these challenges It's going to clarify for us our willingness to let God come near to us and change us. They will show you the answer to the question, who do you say that he is? Listen, we are all works in progress with so much to learn. And so many changes needed to be made whole and to be made holy. And listen, when you find yourself out of sync with God, unable to get where you want to get spiritually at any given time, fighting God's plan for your life sometimes, or you just find that you're just not right with God. Remember, you you don't need a makeover. right? You need a do-over. Jesus would say that you need a new wineskin for the new work that God wants to do and bring to you. The Bible says it begins with an awareness. You are incomplete without God. It involves Jesus and you declaring that he is Lord of your life. And it leads us to repentance. Where we need to walk away from our own ways and turn around and walk back to this God we've been talking about and his ways. And it says that it can happen this very day. If you choose. So will you choose Will you embrace a God that transcends this life and gives us, even in our darkest days, a hope of a new and better and eternal life through the grace that we receive through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus? I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing and worship, and I'm going to invite you if you would like to uh, step back and talk to Drew. He'll be back by the sound booth. Talk to one of our leaders. Before you leave here today, talk to someone. Listen, such a reminder that life is unpredictable, but God offers us hope. If you haven't yet, embrace him today. Let's pray. Father God, you are the source of our hope. Our only hope, really. We are reminded in our lives and in the lives of those we love how incapable we are of controlling this life. Of really making things happen of changing things that just break our heart to the core. And yet we are reminded that in you there is strength sufficient to walk through these valleys and hope for a life beyond this without all of these struggles and one that will last for eternity. So we embrace you for a life eternal even as we walk with you through a life that is very difficult